drive a man, he made a life. But the mammy ain't his wife. Chopping cotton, don't be slow. Better finish out your road. Keep a moving with that plow. Drive a man, I'll show you how. Get to work and root that stump. Drive a man, I'll make you jump. Better make your hammer ring. Drive a man, I'll start to swing. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. But the mammy ain't his wife. 
Chop and cop and don't be slow. Better finish out your road. Keep a moving with that plow. Drive a man, I'll show ya how. Get to work and root that stump. Drive a man, I'll make you jump. Better make your hammer ring. Drive a man, I'll start to swing. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. Drive a man to kind of boss. Ride a man and lead a horse. When his cat or nine tail fly, you'll be happy just to die. Run away and you'll be found by his big old red bone house. Paddy Roller, bring you back. Make you sorry you is black. Drive a man, he made a light. But a mammy ain't his wife. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. Welcome to another episode of Revolutions Per Minute. I'm Sebastian Lopez Vergara. And I'm Radhima Tenegebauer. And today we have a wonderful guest host, uh, Michael Reagan. He's joining us to talk about a fantastic album, We Insist, Max Roach's Freedom Now Suite. So Michael, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. How timely to be doing a special on this album. Uh, it's been a week, I think, of unrest here in Seattle. Uh, we were commenting on how unprecedented or how different this moment is in contrast to other ones. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very excited to have a conversation about this album, but also maybe we can do the exercise of thinking about what this album is trying to represent and portray with what's going on right now in the U.S. When we started talking about doing this album, it was a few weeks ago. It was before the <clears throat> movements for Black Lives really erupted in 2020. And since then, it, it's a high point of movement activism that's incomparable since the era of the Freedom Now suite in the 1960s. So I'm really excited to be talking about it with you guys here. Yeah. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about who Max Roach is um, and sort of why this album came to be as a starter? Sure. I mean, Max Roach already had an established and extremely successful career by um, 1960 when this album came out. He was one of the not only leading drummers in the jazz world at that time, he revolutionized how jazz drumming was played in his work with um, Charlie Parker and the innovation of what was called bop and hard bop, bebop sounds in the 1940s and early 1950s. Um, and so he established himself not only as a drummer, but just as a jazz musician, a composer of striking genius. He was one of the largest figures already in the jazz world. Um, and he had demonstrated increasing kind of political consciousness and political activism over that period. Um, in 1960, a couple of things are happening. The civil rights movement is obviously unfolding. Um, and in particular, that year, 
there was a sit-in in Greensboro, North Carolina from uh, a handful of young college students who um, refused to leave until they were served at a segregated lunch counter. Um, they were arrested and came back and it started this dynamic in which thousands of young people over the entire country saw this action and were inspired by it and started taking similar action, forcing arrests um, for violating uh, the segregation laws or just practices of private companies in cities all over the country. Um, Roach and others were inspired by this and kind of growing Pan-African and Black nationalist consciousness um, and the kinds of Jim Crow segregation that happened internal to the jazz world too. Um, white performers who were paid more at the Newport Jazz Festival, for example, um, and other instances. And so um, that consciousness got translated into this album that I think is kind of musically and politically ahead of its time. If you think about the kinds of content that's coming out um, that Roach and his collaborators, including Abby Lincoln and Oscar Brown Jr. are putting into this album, um, it's a real leap forward in terms of the political consciousness that it's putting out and the kind of musical innovations that it's doing here. And uh, could you like briefly um, do two things, address the song that we just listened, uh, what's the name and maybe what it's trying to do, and then the following one that we're going to listen. Sure, that song is called Drive a Man. It's a song obviously referencing the historical memory of slavery for um, African-Americans in the United States. Um, and it, its composition is part of the whole suite, the Freedom Now Suite, which partially was conceived as a commemoration of the 1863 Emancipation Proclamation from President Abraham Lincoln. The uh, NAACP, National uh, Association for the Advancement of Colored People, asked Roach to do something for 1963, a hundred years later, to commemorate that mm -hmm. moment. And he and Oscar Brown Jr. started talking about, well, what could we do? And so they started thinking about that historical legacy of slavery and wanted to start the album off on that footing. Um, the thing that I think is interesting about that song is that Oscar Brown Jr. was a communist or sort of communist aligned. And he is, and he's the lyricist who's writing the lyrics for the compositions. Yeah. He's really forcing this question of slavery and work regimes after slavery too. It's more of a question. And Amiri Baraka, who was writing about this album, in particular about that song said, yeah, it's dealing with historical memory of slavery, but what he said also was, future memory. Like this could be, you know, uh, feeling the hostility and oppression from an overseer or a driver man or a boss, as he's referred to in this song, could be what African Americans experience the very next day. So it's, it's kind of bridging this gap between the historical moment that Max Roach was in and this legacy of overcoming slavery and movements yeah. of resistance. And what does uh, the following song bring so listeners can pay attention? Oh, this is the um, Freedom Day song. This is the song that is um, so about that moment of emancipation. Mm. And again, I think uh, lyrically, the composition is interesting because Oscar Brown Jr. is more asking 
a question. Um, it's not, a, if, if you listen to the tone of the song and the feeling of the song, it's not just a singular celebration of this moment of transcendence out of slavery. It's more like a question, like how much did we get free? Um, and if you look at some of the lyrics kind of going um, track by track in Freedom Day, he's, he's telling us how this rumor of emancipation spread, uh, quoting the song now, people were saying, whisper, listen, whisper, listen, whisper, say we're free, rumors flying, must be lying, can it really be? A question, are we free even mm -hmm. now, a hundred years later? So it's really emphasizing that, that historic moment, that political moment that the civil rights movement faced in the 1960s.
whisper, listen, whisper, listen, whisper, say we're free. Rumors flying, must be lying, can it really be? Can conceive it, don't believe it, but that's what they say. Slave no longer, slave no longer, this is Freedom Day. Freedom Day, it's Freedom Day. Throw those shackles and chains away. What a song. How it, the, yeah, the question that starts and ends, and then it kind of provides with an answer at the end. It was like, is this equal pay? Can we vote? Uh, resonates so much with what's going on. It also made me think of a, and we, maybe we can address this at the end, uh, what it means to be doing a show uh, about this album today, what, with what's going on. But it reminded me of a concept that a, Theorist uses uh, Sadia Hartman uh, that she coins the she talk about the 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 repercussions of slavery. She calls it the afterlife of slavery, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which are how then slave racialized violence and uh, the dif the differential forms of segregation that different populations uh, experience, particularly black populations in the US, uh, mm -hmm. are the afterlives of slavery. And the fact that uh, slavery didn't end with the uh, proclamation of emancipation, but it formed, it morphed into something mm -hmm. else. Yeah. I mean, the end of slavery was unquestionably a revolution in the United States. And it was a revolution that slaves themselves made. But the continuation of white supremacy and white violence, I think, is what um, Roach and Abby Lincoln, the singer here, and Oscar Brown are dealing with and struggling with. And the fact that they're coming at this pinnacle of, of movement activity um, in the 1960s and kind of setting the tone for the whole decade of what resistance can look like, about how resistance bleeds, needs to bleed into all of our work, our everyday work, our work as professional musicians or professionals or workers, or everything else, we need to use these as tools of resistance. I think it's just a really powerful legacy, part of the legacy of this album. Yeah. Rita, you have a question. Yeah, um, can you talk a little bit about how the music reflects that resistance, um, particularly in the genre of jazz? Um, it seemed like Drive a Man had, you know, some elements of blues as well. Um, could you talk a little bit about how uh, these two genres, specifically blues, jazz, kind of speak to the resistance that Max Roach and um, Oscar Brown, Abby Lincoln are trying to highlight. And how does, and also, I mean, this album, and I will be the first to admit that I'm very new to jazz. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I've always thought that jazz is music that you listen to in elevators or in hotel lobbies <laughs> and, and not necessarily revolutionary music. But can you talk a little bit about what makes this album um, so revolutionary? Well, there's so much to say there. I think maybe it would help if we just start with jazz itself. I mean, jazz emerged in the late 19th and into the early 20th centuries from poor and oppressed African-American peoples in the South who were drawing from this melange of kind of global music, um, African-style syncopation rhythms, as well as kind of American-invented blues tradition, um, which emphasizes um, kind of the off note, the wrong sounding note in a typical harmonic progression. And some argue, and in fact, Max Roach himself believed that just the music itself developing this whole new genre of artistic expression, what Max, Max Roach called um, American classical music or African-American classical music is a political statement. It's a testament to black genius. It's a legacy of the creative capacity of people in struggle. And so just the music itself is kind of a political contribution in a system that tries to dehumanize you and deny your intellectual capabilities and these things. So in some sense, jazz has that politics kind of worked into it. By the time this album co comes out in 1960, there's a much bigger discussion about what makes political music and whether this album was a protest album. And that's something that Max Roach actually shied away from. He, he was uncomfortable thinking of this work as strictly and only a protest album because for him, musically and personally, it was just a much broader, it was an emotional palette as much as any of the other music that he was dealing with. It was a personal testament as much as the other compositions that he had. So he was somewhat, he was very clear that this was a political album, but he was uncomfortable sort of getting labeled um, as strictly protest music because he saw politics kind of imbued with so much more of what jazz was doing. And, and could you briefly, so then when we listen to the following song, folks can note uh, who is in, who are the musicians in this album? And if you could talk about the singer a little. Sure. Well, I, you know, it's called Max Roach's Freedom Suite, but really I think of it as a collaboration between Oscar Brown, who we mentioned already, the lyricist, and Abby Lincoln, the singer, who was just sort of coming into her own artistically. She had been what's called a supper club singer, which is sort of like the beautiful, sultry, black jazz singer that comes out and entertains white audiences um, as they dine at these high-end clubs in Los Angeles and Hawaii and places like that. Her development as an artist was part of her political transformation in which she really embraced um, the more avant-garde forms of jazz. And I think this album is part of that for her. And th the next song that we hear, she is really pushing the boundaries of what traditional jazz sounds like. Traditional jazz has a harmonic structure and chord progressions. This song, Triptych, um, in which the middle section around protest is her essentially screaming, just breaking outside of harmonic relationships, 
is kind of a breakthrough, part of the emergence of free jazz um, and atonal jazz in 1959 and 1960. And so like politically, it's obviously saying something, screaming in this moment of protest, of frustration. Um, politically, she's saying something, but artistically also she's really um, contributing to pushing the boundaries of what jazz is, what we can call jazz, and kind of what we can call music. Like how much does this expression um, musical. And the other piece that I think is interesting here is that um, Max Roach, um, this is just her, her voice and the drums. This is a real um, effort to tie contemporary jazz music to traditional African music that emphasized the voice and the drum and part of a broader kind of pan-Africanist and black nationalist um, call and politics that they were both developing at this time.
Wow, that was powerful. I, I don't really know what I can say after that. That seems like, uh, you know, just kind of experiencing the ghosts of slavery as you were talking about, you know, hundreds of years of oppression being released there in the middle at, 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 with the protest section. And then just your body kind of, you know, the being exhausted from that exertion and doing everything you possibly could. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that because that's exactly how they talked about that song. The piece, the final section, is not a piece of reconciliation, it's a piece of exhaustion. Um, and that's how Roach and Abby Lincoln thought of that. 
I, I couldn't help but be struck by it in that protest section, thinking of the pain and violence that's happening right now mm -hmm. um, around the Black Lives Matter movement. Every day we see worse and worse acts of police brutality and that kind of anguish that comes from that struggle seems to be really present in this in this song too. Yeah, and, and I think the anger um, is beautifully captured actually by Abby Lincoln in in the song, um, just the visceral rawness of it. Um, because, you know, in, in the news right now, you see instance of it. And I mean, I honestly don't know how anybody cannot have an incredible amount of rage seeing what we're seeing um, on, well, on, in all these protests, particularly in regards to the police brutality and, and the systems, uh, various systems, the economic systems, our political systems of affecting all sorts of violence on many oppressed people um, and black people being those that have um, garnered perhaps the longest and most severe um, examples of that type of oppression. But I think Abby Lincoln's representation of that anger, I mean, it's, it seems like, what was, was it a minute long? Um, Just about, yeah. Yeah. That, that was amazing. I mean, I do really think that artistically she's coming into her own at this moment too. If you listen to her few earlier albums, um, she seems to be trying to find her voice as a jazz vocalist and singer. And in this, the execution is flawless she is just and the boundaries that she pushes in her performance is just I, I think it's what makes the albums so strong and and it's so impressive that it's just drums and i mean just but it's only drums and a voice and the they fill out and they do so much like also the drumming of max roach there is so vast it's like playing everything and she is also going along with that and they both are like complimenting each other um such an interesting composition yeah and it kind of created this environment sort of a haunting environment i don't know if you got that sense as well but yeah that was impressive so um uh, what do we have next what is the song that's coming um why next? would it be like how does it connect with the politics of like pan-africanism if you can you could elaborate on that this next song is really interesting it's called all africa and it's also a song with um drumming and vocals this one incorporates the um like congo playing of um michael olatunji who's a nigerian born um uh, african drummer who was seeing some success in the late 50s and into the early 1960s and Oscar Brown actually talks about this song as being the compositional heart of the whole album. He said originally the album was conceived around what they called the beat. They were going to call it the beat, and it was going to be a testament to the Pan-African experience in which African culture, especially through rhythm and drumming, kind of permeates all sections of the globe. And the lyrics are really a testament to that. Abby Lincoln sings out a whole series of um, African ethnic identities as kind of, a, again, calling back to the past, but then also thinking about contemporary struggles. And in 1959 and 1960, 
um, African nations were in the process of decolonizing from European rule. They were overthrowing Belgium and English and a whole series of um, longstanding and very violent European uh, rules. And African-American political activists like Malcolm X and others were also discovering this much broader global context of black struggle for liberation and making connections between what was happening in the United States to what was happening in Africa. And this song, again, both musically and politically, seems to capture all of that um, energy, all of those ideas. Awesome. I think let's get to it. The beat has a rich and magnificent history full of adventure, excitement, and mystery. Some of it bitter. Oh, my God. 
what a great song. It's so interesting to listen to it thinking of how how it's doing a lot of the work that then jazz mus- musicians 10 years later will be will try to do with a jazz fusion um and then but how this exploration into like bringing african and and heavily percussive instruments into jazz again uh will lose its more like explicit political intent mm-hmm. um, and i was also reminded of like the more the new york scene of like uh minimalist experimental music of like trying to incorporate uh a lot of these percussive elements but then mm-hmm. how devoid from uh of politics there is that incursion into experimental music and here it's so present of like trying to bring jazz the music of the diaspora of the african diaspora back into a in this sentiment of pan-africanism so so interesting yeah a global context of both political consciousness and and kind of a musical revolution too um and this album roach's album was one of the first to incorporate um this style of west african drumming into like a more traditional jazz album and then it just proliferates john coltrane from here gets really interested and works it into his later works and um yeah i mean it's it's a musically it's a very significant moment yeah and could could you talk about a little of its influence its reception like what is unfortunately um in jazz there's so many gatekeepers right um and especially like as you were saying like the circuits in which jazz musicians had to move sometimes were in these extremely wealthy clubs and then there was this other scene that was more underground and experimental that would allow for the genre to continue uh, changing but then when it would reach to those circuits of more wealthy clubs there would be a lot of like what is jazz and not what is palatable or not for different audiences could you talk a l- about how it was received this album and its legacy I mean the album itself was fairly well received at the time especially within the jazz community it was well reviewed and well regarded um it was actually performed at an NAACP gala in Philadelphia which also was well received there was a whole the performance was much bigger too there were dancers in addition to the musicians and um i don't think there's any footage of that but man i wish there was it sounds like a really incredible event um So the album immediately was fairly well um received especially from kind of progressive liberal people who were interested in supporting civil rights and thought of jazz as a part of that. Um I think in subsequent years though this album for me is right up there with any of the greats of the jazz golden era from Miles Davis's kind of blue that came out the year before or Coltrane's Love Supreme that came out a couple years later. but it's not heralded or seen in that same light and i think that's partially because of its really overtly political content it gets overlooked it gets seen as metro roach feared as a protest album and not a, a musical as well as a political contribution um michael can you talk a little bit about how abby lincoln's performance for protest was received 
Yeah, it's interesting because if anyone took heat for this album, it was Abby Lincoln, and it was for the that one minute section that we heard from Triptych in which she was singing, um, sc screaming, scream singing. Um, it really tainted the rest of her career. She had a follow-up album to this called Straight Ahead, which again was another kind of testament to movement politics and her own artistic exploration. Um, and that album was panned by critics, in particular one really important one for a jazz magazine called Downbeat. Um, th this critic said that Abby Lincoln has embraced her what they called at the time Negroness, but Blackness in the wrong direction. This was a white critic saying that her music was too Black focused. Um, and it led to um, other magazines like Time Magazine accusing Lincoln of what they called Crow Jimism, which is essentially what we would call today reverse racism in her album by focusing on sort of Black politics and Black nationalist politics. There was a huge debate about this. She had a public debate with the Downbeat magazine editors and Max Roach and this critic, um, but it essentially ruined her career. After that album, she didn't record for 10 years. It wow. wasn't until the 70s that she recorded another album. So she did take, she carried pretty significant consequences for her career for making this, um, this kind of work. Wow, that is just fucked up. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the parallels today, too, when we think about this explosion of Black Lives Matter movements around claims of reverse racism and all lives matter and crow gymism just is very striking to me, too. Mm. How they continue. Yeah. 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 Do you know how uh, this album was received by any of sort of the subsequent leaders of the civil rights movement, like... Uh, Malcolm X, you mentioned, you know, especially with the Pan-African movement uh, being referenced so implicit or explicitly, um, or did Martin Luther King have anything to say about this? Were they into this type of music? Did this album have any sort of impact on them or those who they worked with very closely, like um, uh, A. Philip Randolph and, and, you know, maybe even James Baldwin subsequently, any of, any of those folks mentioned any of this? That is a great question. I don't know what Malcolm X thought of this album. I imagine he loved it. <laughs> it's hard to say. I know yeah. that A. Philip Randolph did write the liner notes for the original album. Oh, really? When, oh. It, was, when it was released. Um, so he was very supportive, broadly supportive. And um, his, uh, actually quoting from his piece, um, what he wrote, he was talking about the political context. He says that a revolution is unfurling America's unfinished revolution. It is unfurling in lunch counters, buses, libraries, and schools, whenever the dignity and position of men are denied. Youth and idealism is unfurling. Masses of Negroes are marching onto the stage of history and demanding their freedom. Now, it's a, he really saw this as an important work. And I think that quote, I mean, could be said about this moment as well. He
Wow, that was another impressive song. Um, I imagine that had something to do with South Africa, given the title, Tears for Johannesburg. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's another really good example of the politics and the music blending in this work. Um, this song was written in response to a 1960 massacre that happened in March in a township in Johannesburg called Sharpville. And there, um, thousands of people were protesting the apartheid system, had this method of disallowing people movement within their very own country called the pass system. And thousands of people um, descended on a police station um, to protest the pass system um, and demand more freedom of movement in their own country. And police opened fire on the crowd, killed um, 69 people and hundreds more were um, injured. And Roach um, wrote this composition as, as a memorial to that, a tribute to that. And I think here it's kind of empowering. It's a, it's a tribute to the um, power of um, protesting and demonstration and fighting even in the face of this pretty horrific violence. And again, I mean, when we think about out of control police violence, the, the parallels to the current moment is, is it's hard to not see. Yeah. Do you know how that song was received in South Africa? It was banned, yeah. South Africa banned the album and the song. Um, the, the day of the Sharpeville massacre, March 21st, is actually a national holiday in South Africa now, post-apartheid. Um, but while the struggle was unfolding in the 70s and 80s, yeah, the song was banned. Wow, okay. Well, you've clearly educated me an incredible amount on jazz and political jazz, for that matter. Um, would you recommend other albums or other artists that you might think if, if we like this album or if we like these artists um, that we'd like to check out more of? I don't know, Seba, I'd be interested to hear from you. I think this album, there's so much happening in this album. It's hard to say that there's like a perfect parallel because it's doing so many different things. It's bringing in West African polyrhythms. Mm. It's doing traditional kind of straight ahead jazz, but then also moving into this avant-garde free jazz space. So there are so many different things happening here. It, it really depends what you like. I always think a good entree point is the work of John Coltrane. Um, if you like more traditional kind of smooth ballads, he has some amazing albums like uh, Crescent that really just are a testament to his artistry. But then he also has some very far out compositions like in Live at the Village Vanguard and other things where he's pushing the boundaries of what music do. I would also like this last song reminded me a little of uh, Charles Mingus, like uh, Blues and Roots is a good introduction. Or I think at the same time, maybe uh, Mingus Atom is from the year before, 59, right? Also mm -hmm. has a very political song there. That album is from beginning to end, amazing. And, and Mingus also does political art too. Like his, he has a song, um, what is it called? Uh, Fables of Fabus, mm -hmm. which is about the uh, Little Rock Nine uh, protests and the governor of Arkansas who refused to let um, uh, the students into the classroom. So there's political content there as well too. Yeah, what else can we think of? Um, well, for like, Classic Billie Holiday. 
or Nina Simone, right? Oh, Nina, yeah, she's the best, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was amazing. Like, we learned so much. I think we were able to connect this to what's going on today as well, like to see the continuum of racialized violence. Not only, I would say, in the US, but also like as the album ends, I think this is a global struggle. Um, I think one of the, um, I don't wanna say mistakes, but assumptions that people have is that, I would say like coming from a different country, in Chile, how this is talked about is that race is a US problem, right? But I think what the song, how it ends this album with Tears for, Johannesburg talking about uh, police brutality. I think one of the ways in which uh, racism manifests manifests and expresses itself throughout the globe is with police brutality. And I think in Chile, uh, you can see it as a continuum of violence against indigenous people. Um, and I would say across the world as well against migrants. I love the international perspective of this album. And just going back to the liner notes from A. Philip Randolph, he was writing in 1960 that a revolution is unfurling. And at that moment, I think it was global. And I think in this moment, it's global too. If you look at the uh, Chilean protests just at the very end of last year and into what we're seeing in the United States today, what's happening in Hong Kong and other places as mm -hmm. people try to buck the trend of capitalism, authoritarianism, white supremacy. It's pretty incredible. And what is interesting too, that's coming out of this wave of protests, uh, I think with the pandemic, they were a little, because all of the protesters were of course, um, concerned about their own health. But what I think the rage against police brutality, particularly with the killing of George Floyd has, produce is a new or like a reinvigoration of that cycle of protests. Uh, and it's so uh, amazing to see not only in the US how it's moved throughout different cities, but how in Europe we can see that and, and particularly in Britain, there's been a lot of protests. Um, and so it's interesting to see how the globe once again is continuing uh, it's wave of protest. It, it makes me very hopeful for the prospects for black liberation and, and human liberation just to be in this moment, but also for creating great art. I really expect that out of this we'll get some great music and, and art and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that too. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Michael. This was a fantastic episode. We learned a ton and thank you for you know, giving this incredible historical context and then a lot of hope for the future. So really appreciate it. I have one so, last uh, musical suggestion. I think there's a new band. I, I'm, I always like to listen to contemporary <laughs> jazz as well. Um, Irreversible Entanglements, they're from Chicago. Um, they released an album this year uh, called Who Sent You? And it's precisely about police brutality. Mm. And so you should check them out as well. And with that, I'm sorry, we can, uh, maybe we can listen to that album one of these days, uh, but hope, you, hope our listeners can join us for a future 
revolutions per minute episode. And thank exactly. you for listening. Thank you.